Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Sarah, can I borrow you for a second? I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Beautiful Sarah Miller. Sarah is really hoping that they have a second child. She's, she's been believing for it. It's one of her biggest wishes. She really hopes that, you know, somehow that she, she has a child. She's wishing. It's like on her wish list, right? Now, what is Sarah? She is expecting to have a child very soon, right? When's your due date? October. It would come here. It's almost October. That's like next month. Oh, my gosh. But I was thinking of Sarah as I was kind of thinking about what to talk about here or what God was going to download to us today, and I was actually thinking about you. And there's a difference between wishing and hoping and expecting (laughs) Sarah's not wishing and hoping that she has a second child. She is living every day with expectancy. And she sees this thing inside her growing every day. And it's coming to a point when she doesn't hope she gives birth, she is going to give birth. And there is an expected time that that birth is going to happen. But either way, she's going to have a beautiful baby. She is expecting this beautiful baby, as are we too, by the way, not as much as you guys are. But we are expecting, and we can't wait for that day to happen. But there is a big difference between something that you're just kind of hoping for and something that you live with expectation of. And so today, I actually want to talk a little bit about expectation. Thank you, Sarah. You're beautiful. Thank you. Give her a hand. I remember when we first got, when we first got pregnant, um, which I love how guys say that. When Romy first got pregnant with our oldest son, Liam, who's now 17 and six foot seven. But I remember when we, when, we, when we first got pregnant or found out we were pregnant, somebody gave us a book. And it might be a book that you guys got. Um, it was a pretty popular book at the time. I don't know if it is or it isn't now, but it was called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Anybody get that? I hated that book. Because that book was like, everything will hurt. It'll be terrible. You're not going to sleep. And I'm like... Is there anything good about this book that's actually, I didn't read the whole book, I'll be honest with you, but I got about halfway into it, and it's like you start expecting all the negative things that were going to happen, and Romy just decided that she was going to believe God for a pain-free childbirth, literally a pain-free childbirth, and she said, look, I know the Bible says that women will experience pain in childbirth, but that's all part of the curse as a result of the curse. The curse of sin is broken. We're a new creation, living in the new kingdom, so I'm believing for a pain-free childbirth. And every nurse she talked to just laughed at her when she said that. But she essentially had one, didn't you? Right up to the C-section. So all of her labor and all of that sort of stuff. But I remember, you know, when you have something that is growing inside of you, it creates an expectancy of what life is going to look like. A pregnant woman at some point will give birth. It's not hoping, it's not wishing. When we're living this life as disciples, as revivalists, 
as people who are a part of a kingdom, who have crossed over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, who, as the Bible says, are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We are now living back in the Father's house, God the Father, in the place where we were supposed to be, where we were destined to be, that he has created this place for us. This kingdom living that we're in, but still wrestling with our present circumstance of a world that's fallen, yet we're a part of a different kingdom. And the conflict that we experience living in that place, of in a new place, but still in the same place, of a kingdom that's here, but is still coming, and where we have the promise, but not yet completely the fulfillment of all that the kingdom is, which will happen when Jesus comes back, there's this challenge of, are we just hoping and wishing for something that's coming, or are we living with expectancy? Are we expecting these things to come? And as kingdom people, we can actually expect certain things out of this new life in Christ. We can expect them. And so I don't know how long this is going to take me. I don't think I'll get through all of this in one week. So it's maybe a couple weeks worth of this. But I just started to make a list of all of the things that God tells us that we can expect as being part of his family. You see, when we were apart from God, when we choose to live life our own way, which all of us, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us at one point were born into a state of being apart from God. We were actually enemies of God. So what we could expect was wrath. God's wrath poured out on us. I don't want God's wrath. But we can expect that because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if I'm going to get paid my daily wages for the life that I lived, it would experience death and wrath. Never God's intention for us. God's intention was never for that. Our intention was to be, a, his intention was for us to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters, where instead of God's wrath that's being poured out on us, it's his love that's being poured out on us. The only way you get wrath is if you choose it, and I don't, I don't choose it anymore. I choose to be a part of his family. I choose to receive this free gift of salvation that he's given to us, and I choose to step into this kingdom that he has created for us to dwell in unity and in his blessing. And as part of that kingdom, there are some things that I can expect. Call it fringe benefits. Call it the stuff that Jesus paid for that you got for free. I don't know what you want to call it, but there are certain things that I can expect by being a part of his family. And I want to share some of those with you today. Is that okay? One, and I'm, some of these I may spend a little more time on than others, uh, and the ones I don't spend time on is usually because somebody else has already taught on this much better than I have or could um, or will. And the first one is one of those. And one of the things that we can expect from being a part of God's family is friendship with God. Friendship with God. There used to be this popular worship song a while ago, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. You may continue. Everyone just lost eye contact with me. But we are invited into a friendship with him. Friendship. Like, think about that. The God who created the universe wants us to be his friend. In John 15, 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. 
But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Friends. Of all the things he could have called us, he chose to call us his friends. And I'm not going to spend a long time teaching on this because Romy actually teaches beautifully on this. And I'd encourage you to get some of the stuff that she's done on this. But it's an interesting thing about friends. I have a best friend that I grew up with. His name is, is Brent Johnson. He lives in Atlanta right now. And we grew up together since we were babies. And it's quite funny because he knew me before any of you did. He knew me before Romy did. He knew me before my kids did. So whenever Brent would come in town, and it's been a couple of years uh, since he's been here, but my kids or, or all of my friends now would be like, tell us stories about Clayton that we don't know. And I'd give him that look, and I'm like, maybe half of them. We'll see which stories you want. But there's something about a friend that knows all of your stories, all the good ones and all the ones that you don't want to tell around the dinner table yet. They know all your stuff. He knows just about everything about me in my childhood growing up. And people want to know that stuff, right? Well, part of a friendship with Jesus means that he knows all of our stories. He knows everything about us. But you know that goes two ways. So when you get with your buddy, Brent had two of his buddies that came in that knew him from a long time. And I sat around and we just howled listening to these guys tell stories about Brent that I had no idea that I think Brent had forgotten about. But it was so cool because you get a piece of somebody's personality and history that maybe you didn't know about. But the friendship means that they know your stories, but you also know their stories. Not only do, does Jesus know our story, but we know his. This verse in John 15, 15, I want you to listen to this. I've called you friends for all the things I heard from my Father I made known to you. When you walk in friendship with God, it's not just that he knows you, it's that you know him. There are things about the very nature of the Father that are only revealed to us through our friendship with Jesus. Not our knowledge of him. Not our acknowledgement of him. Jesus, you're God. You are, you are the Son of God. You are, that's an acknowledgement, and that's important, but it's the friendship where we have the very nature and character of God revealed to us. We get to know God's stories. It's like sitting around and hearing, let me tell you what happened this day. That comes through friendship. You can expect friendship with God when you become a part of his family. That's good news. Here's another one. This is one that's cropped up a lot lately. Maybe it's because of the times that we're in uh, of the, the whole COVID thing. And, but we can expect joy. Joy. We can expect it. In other words, when you expect something, like for Sarah to have this baby, it's not some long, lofty goal that one day she hopes to accomplish. Or everybody, She is having it because it's already growing inside of her. Joy is something that's not an unattainable goal. In fact, it's not a goal at all. Joy is not something you attain. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a natural outflow of what's happening inside you. So is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are what Galatians refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, as in you can pick some and not the others, but the fruit. That means all of those things in increasing measure can flow from us as a natural outpouring of our very nature. An apple tree doesn't go, make an apple. 
It just is an apple tree. And over time, it will bear fruit. Joy can be expected just like an apple tree can expect to bear apples. It can be expected. God, I'm expecting to have joy. But joy we often confuse with happiness. Maybe it's our American culture because our whole Declaration of Independence, it guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At least the framers were smart enough to know you're not guaranteed happiness, but you can pursue it. But somehow we mix up joy with the pursuit of happiness. And we spend our life pursuing something that is not necessarily the fruit that God wants to bear in our lives. And here's what I want you to understand. I might not be happy, but I can be joyful. Because people think, I can't have joy, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with my state in life. I'm not happy with my weight, my height, my hair color, my job, my spouse, my dog, my three dogs. I'm not happy with something, and so therefore I can't have joy. But joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. And we can expect to be joyful in all occasions to the point where the Bible tells us to be joyful in your afflictions. Be joyful in your persecution because when you're persecuted, you can share in the persecutions that Jesus suffered. That doesn't sound happy. When they're getting burned at the stake and whipped and scourged and unfollowed on Facebook, I can't imagine how hard that must have been for the disciples. I can't imagine how hard it was for them to be blocked on Facebook by people who you thought were your friends, but you posted one thing and everybody in your friends list got blocked, blocked, blocked because of one thing you posted, the persecution. I can't see how they bore it. Some of those things aren't happy, but happiness is external. The joy is internal. There's this verse that Paul shares in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that has still thrown me for a loop to this day because it doesn't make sense. These two things don't go together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 4, Paul says, I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Wait a minute. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. That doesn't make sense. Shouldn't it be, in all our troubles, we're still hoping and praying? In all of our troubles, and he had some troubles. You want to read the book of Acts? Shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, bitten by a snake. He, just, he had some troubles, right? And he says, in all my troubles, my joy knows no bounds. And we think troubles must equal stress and anxiety and fear and pain and uncertainty. And he goes, no, in all that stuff, my joy is overflowing. Like, I, I don't need the troubles to stop in order for the joy to flow. It just flows. I'm not in denial. I'm not denying that I have a lump on my neck. I'm not denying that the job situation isn't looking good, that business is tough right now, that my kids are away from God. I'm not denying any of that stuff, but right in the middle of it, joy is flowing. It's flowing. It's flowing. And it's not just feeding me, but when the joy flows, it's enough joy for everybody else around me maybe it's me. 
I really can't stand being around negative people. That's probably not good for a pastor. You're supposed to be compassionate. I love being around people who are in pain, who are struggling, who are really hurting. That's not what I'm talking about because I know that what's in me is enough for them too. But it's the negative people that I have a hard time with. The complainers, the one that always find fault with other people, the gossips, the backbiters, that stuff. Oh, just, I, I can't, I really, I have a hard time with it. Because it means something got stuck, something got stopped up. But when I see people like Don share that story, and I'm, he's crying, but that's joy. That's actually joy that's coming up. Like he loves sharing that story, and he's still in it. The story still is going on. There's joy that comes. I just want to encourage you that happiness is determined by what happens to me. But joy is dependent on what happens in me. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, hope, or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. The joy in your life is more about what's happening in you than what's happening to you. Now, when joy and happiness come together, when you hit the number, win the lottery, get the house you want, get the spouse you want, get the dog you want, all of those things, that's coupled with joy. That's pretty awesome. But whether I'm happy or not, joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. That means every time I wake up, there's new joy. There's new joy. Not because I have something to, new to be joyful about. See, the problem is when you don't have real joy happening in your life, you need something new and shiny to keep you happy. But happiness can never bring joy. Am I making sense? Joy can be expected. It's not a goal to achieve or attain. It can be expected when you live in God's family. If you don't have it yet, it's coming. Here's another one. One of the things that we can expect is we can, I don't know what order to go in here. Lord, help me. We can expect God to respond to faith. We can expect him to respond to faith. Can I read a story with you? It's from Luke chapter 8. If you got your Bibles or if they're on your phone, you can turn me to Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to read to you from the NIV. You can read whatever translation you got. You know an interesting way to read the Bible? When you grew up as a kid, maybe in church, or even you, if, if your experience with the Word of God is other people's preaching, that's a good way to hear the Word. But sometimes you miss connections. Jesus often told parables and he told stories that all were part of the same story. And sometimes when you remember one story, you don't get that it's actually, it flows together with another story to teach one thing. Romy talked brilliantly on this one day about when Jesus cursed the fig tree and when he overturned the tables in the temple, that all happened at the same time and those things were interrelated and connected. There's some great ways to, to, to read. Anyway, I'm, I'm encouraging you to read the Bible for yourself and see how these stories are connected. This is one of those moments. Luke chapter 8, and I'm looking in verse 40. 
Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him, right? Then a, a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, where was Jesus on his way to? Jairus' house to heal the daughter, right? As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Hmm. Two people dealing with an affliction for 12 years. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. I want you to catch this. Jesus didn't know who had touched him. This wasn't someone that Jesus sought out. This was someone that sought Jesus out. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. I want you to, I'm not going to teach this aspect of it, but the social mores that this woman pushed against to get her healing, that she was not meant to even be in that crowd or amongst other people, much less to touch the, 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 the master. That would have made him unclean. She was unclean. Touching him would have made him unclean. But how many of you know when you touch Jesus, he doesn't become unclean? He makes what was unclean, clean. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I love that he calls her daughter. But he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus never even got a chance to put his hand on her and pray a prayer of faith and declare victory over death and the grave and the sickness and I've come to blah, blah, blah. She reached out with her faith and touched Jesus and she was healed before Jesus even said a word. And he just wants her to know what just happened. Your faith healed you. Like we know Jesus heals her, right? But her faith is the thing that accessed the healing. She reached out in faith. Just if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And he tells her, your faith has healed you. Now verse 48, 49. While Jesus was still speaking, where was he going? Jairus' house. Why was he going to Jairus' house? To heal his sick daughter. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. What had just happened? Right in front of Jairus, some woman, without ever asking somebody's permission, without ever having Jesus come to her, reached out with her faith, 
caught hold of Jesus and was healed. And now right after that, how, how is this just like the enemy? Right after seeing the accessing of the healing through someone's faith, someone gets a message that your daughter's dead. And then right on the back of that message, the perspective given to that person is, don't bother Jesus, it's too late. Faith might have fixed that, but faith can't fix that. This is too late. This is too far gone. Maybe something happened there that was a nice little party trick, but what happened to that person isn't for you because your case is different. Remember, Jesus gave this woman with the issue of blood the perspective. He wanted her to know, you touched me, you got healed because of your faith. I don't just want you to be healed. I want you to know why. And I want you to see how faith can heal somebody just by reaching out to Jesus. Then right off the back of that, something bad happens, and the enemy puts his perspective on it and goes, it's too late, don't bother the teacher. Isn't it funny? Right in the same moment. And Jesus catches it. Jesus catches Jairus. He hears what's being said, and Jesus knows it's a lie. And he looks at Jairus and goes, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus didn't tell Jairus, I'm going to heal her. Did he? He didn't say, it's okay, I'm going to heal her, she's going to be okay. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Because there's something about our faith that accesses the very thing that Jesus wants to give to us. What can we expect of being in this kingdom? We can expect God to respond to faith. When we step out in faith, heaven responds to this. So then after he tells her this, in verse 50, something with my glasses, 51, when he arrived to the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John. Do you know why he didn't let anybody else go in? He didn't want any more lies spread around that room, telling Jairus it's too late. When you want to get into an environment of healing, then get rid of all the voices that tell you it's too late, your daughter's dead, you got healed once, you're not going to get healed again, you had a good run, but sorry, it's come back again. Get those voices out of the room. You may not be able to remove the people attached to those voices, but you can shut those voices off. At least shut them off in here. Shut off the voice that says something contrary to what Jesus is saying and tune into him. If you want to touch the hem of his garment, you may not be in a crowd with a physical Jesus there, but you can reach out in faith to the words of Jesus that says, do not be afraid, just believe. But they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I want you to see that these two stories are linked. Jesus wanted Jairus' house to have the same faith of the woman that touched the hem of his garment. That's the point of the story. This isn't a parable. This actually happened. I want you to have the same faith that this woman had. And if you do, even your dead daughter will raise up again to life. 
Kind of the other side of that pendulum, James chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that if we ask in faith without doubting, sorry, but he must ask in faith without doubting because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So what's James saying? That when you ask, and we got a blank check. Who, who is it that had that word? Sam, that's funny. She goes, God's saying to ask. But don't just ask and wish and hope. I don't know. I guess. I'll take some of that. Expect it. Wait, God, you just said to ask. Well, I'm expecting you to do exactly what you just said you were going to do. I'm expecting it because I'm in your family. And I can expect these things and have that same measure of faith. Heaven responds to faith. It responds to faith. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I'm going to end with this one. We can expect signs, wonders, and miracles when we're living in his kingdom as part of his family. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. So as an illustration today, um, Ian, can you bring the snakes out, please? And the, the poison? Just kidding. This for me is probably the most challenging scripture that I've been stuck in for a year. Because Jesus does not say, in my name, they might drive out demons. In my name, every now and then you'll see somebody healed. It's in my name, they. Who's they? It's us. I'm part of the they. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will put their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. Because when I read that, if I pray for somebody who's sick and they don't get healed, the problem is not the healer. And the problem may not be me. But I used to worry about, God, if they don't get healed, I don't want it to give you a bad name. I used to think that. Until God went, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay with my name. And I'm okay with my reputation. I've got a pretty good track record. 
Whose reputation are you worried about? When you lay hands on the sick and maybe they don't get healed, whose reputation are you worried about? Well, God, I just want to, I want to do great things for you. God, I want to see you made famous on the earth. And he's going, son, I don't want you to do things for me. I want you to do things with me. I'm allowing you to partner in what I'm already doing anyway. And if you could do it, then you probably wouldn't need me. But I want you to drive out demons. I want you to be able to drink deadly poison and pick up snakes and speak in new tongues and lay hands on the sick and see them well. Because I want to do it with you. You see, I didn't sign you up for an army and then give you your orders to go out and do things. I made you a part of my family. And family does things together. That's what family is. You're a part of the family business, and we do family business together. So I stopped worrying about whether somebody didn't get healed or didn't get healed. And I honestly lay hands on people every time, and I expect them to get healed. Now, not everyone I've prayed for has gotten healed. In fact, I had a little track record for a while that most people I prayed for died. That's not very encouraging, is it? You're like, oh, that's why he got Brent Norm to lay hands on Don. (laughs) No. But I don't let one defeat. I don't know if it was defeat, but I don't let one thing happen affect my expectancy for the next thing. Every single time I lay hands on the sick, I have to tell myself this verse. They will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. And I'm expecting God to heal. I'm expecting signs, wonders, and miracles. I'm expecting miraculous provision, not just for me and my family, but for you and your family. We could spend a five-month series talking about the miraculous financial provisions that we've had over the last 20 years, but particularly since we founded Seashore Church. It's crazy. God just keeps showing up every single time. I've expected it now. We have a financial need. I'm just like, well, God, I'm expecting you to provide here. Miraculously. I'm still working. I'm still, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm sitting back and going, all right, God, I'm not going to get a job because I'm expecting you to provide. I understand that the Bible teaches us he blesses the work of your hands, but I'm not sweating finances for me or the church. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that we don't tend to ask you for money very often? Or ever? Because I know that if I obey God, and that is by helping teach you how to hear from God for yourself, if the church has a need, he'll speak to you about it. If God's called us all to live generously, if God has called us all to sow into his house and to be generous with each other, then yes, I do believe in good teaching on giving, but I believe God will move the hearts of the people to give anyway. And that's exactly what happens in our church. I have other pastors that are like, you you don't take offerings? And I'm like, no, I'm okay if you do. But it was a specific thing God told us for this season not to do. 
He goes, well, how do you pay the bills? I said, funny thing, we're doing okay. We're doing fine. We can expect angelic visitations. This is part of the miraculous signs and wonders. Angelic visitations. Something happened in the early days of our church, meeting in a home just like this, where angels kept turning up in our meetings. And I know, you know like angels, okay, not in this group, maybe on the YouTube channel. Angels, okay, we'll see how, how we go. But I've, I didn't see them, but I felt them. Like I would feel like a, like a that all the time. I'm like, what is that? And then somebody else would say, I actually just saw an angel here. And I'm like, what did it look like? And they're describing these wings that are flapping. And I'm like, I didn't see it, but I felt it. Holy cow. And we had one guy. This was the early days of our, how do I say this nicely? Um, these aren't people that were just saying they saw something, hoping they would see it if they said it. Does that make sense? Because I've seen that. People are like, I'm in faith seeing an angel and I'm describing it. Nobody needs you to in faith see an angel. You either saw it or you didn't. And if you didn't, it's okay, by the way. But there was something was happening in our church where the veil started getting lifted and people started seeing angels and demons because they're both heavenly creatures that, you know, one has fallen, one is not. But I remember one person, what would happen is, this is the early days of our church. Now people are a lot more open about it, saying, I see an angel right there. But they would come to me separately because they didn't know how to handle this and how to process it. And they're like, um, I saw this glowing thing over there. And it was after the meeting. You know, the after the meeting, come up to the pastor and tell them all this stuff. So people would come to me and they'd say, um, there was uh, like this thing behind this person. And I knew what they were describing, but they didn't know what they were describing. I said, well, well describe it to me. And in vivid detail, they would talk to me about this it was like a man, but larger, and he was in all white and lit up, whatever it was, and, and a pretty vivid description of it. And I said, where was it in the room? And they said it was standing behind this particular person, right? I was like, huh, okay, cool. I didn't tell anybody else. If you told anybody else, no, I didn't tell anybody else. I was like, cool. Then I get a phone call the next morning, and this person, a different person, says, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, yeah. He said, there's a presence in my house. And I'm like, okay, good or bad? He goes, no, it's really good. I said, what happened? He goes, all night in worship last night, I felt like something was standing behind me. And I kept turning around to look, and there's nothing there. But I felt it in my car on the way home, and it's in my house now. And he goes, my whole house is just full of peace. And in a household that wasn't at the time full of peace, but in that moment, it was just full of peace. And I said, can you describe it to me? He goes, yeah. And this person described in vivid detail the exact same thing the other person had described. And this was the person they, the angel was standing behind them. Do you know what I mean? And I just, I was getting chills. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. The angelic visitations are not because you did something super special and holy. I just think there's moments when God just shows you what's up. Like, okay, you're battling some stuff. You're fighting some spiritual battles. Can I just show you what you've got on your side? And sometimes those angelic visitations are things of God's way just saying, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm for you. We have other people that have seen demons in the church. And I'm like, where is it? They're like, yeah, it's floating over in that corner. Oh, yeah, we bound that one. We know about that one. Don't worry about it. Like, what do you mean? I was like, well, is he bothering anybody? He's like, no. 
he looks kind of pissed off. And I was like, I'd be pissed off too if I couldn't do anything with all these people that are right here. I was like, don't worry about it. We can expect angelic visitations. We can expect miracles, signs, and wonders when we become a part of his kingdom. Amen? I'm going to continue this at least over the next week because i got a lot more. And I just want us to understand that there are not just fringe benefits. I'd be like, what, what does Liam has a, as a fringe benefit of living in my family? It's not a fringe benefit. It's that everything I have is his, right? And so as being part of this family, we have access to everything that God has. It's ours too. He shares with us, the Bible says, in the divine nature. That means whatever is his, we can have. And so I just want to spend some time over the next week or two just talking about some of these great things that we can live with expectation of. Can we pray? (sighs) Father, we thank you that we can know that as being part of your family, we have these great and precious promises from you. And we can hold fast to them, believing that you will do everything that you said you're going to do. And we can have everything that we are told that we can have that we have angels with us. We have provision that finds us. We have faith, and our faith accesses healing on our behalf. We have the mind of Christ. We have your blood flowing through us. And we have joy that comes out of every circumstance. It just bubbles up in joy. No matter what you do to us on the outside, joy just keeps coming up. Like the harder you squeeze that orange, the more orange juice comes out. The harder you squeeze us, the more joy comes out. And it never stops flowing. And I speak joy over your people. I pray that they don't figure out how to find joy. They figure out how to maybe un- unstuck, unstick the stuff that's keeping the joy from flowing out. We speak peace. We speak prosperity over all of your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com. 